0: Good morning everybody. It's great to see you. Um, What's lovely for me is I get half an hour without a mask on. That's pretty good, isn't it? But it's a real joy for Amanda and I to be with you. Thank you, Mark and Kathy, for the invitation. We're just delighted to be able to worship with you today, to be here, to those connecting on home now and maybe even uh, after Sunday. We just pray that the same sense of God's presence here will be impacting you where you are as you listen in today. Really grateful that Jordan read that passage to us that I want to unpack to you today. Do you know that no route that Jesus took was ever aimless? Every road he walked had a purpose, every village Jesus visited was intentional. There were no accidental meetings in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus didn't just bump into somebody and have to somehow alter his plans to accommodate this unexpected moment. If Jesus walked down your street and said hello to you, it's because something was about to happen in your world. And on the occasion that was unpacked for us, as Jordan read just a little earlier on video, it was noon And Jesus comes to this particular village in Samaria. And he meets a woman at this well at the center of the village who was not liked in her neighborhood. She went there to collect water, not knowing that she would meet someone who would change her life forever. She would meet someone at the well. It was about 80 miles to journey from Jerusalem, it is about 80 miles, to journey from Jerusalem north to Galilee, where Jesus spent a lot of his ministry in the Galilee and Capernaum area. And there were two predominant routes that you might use to walk either north to south or south to north. One, if you were leaving Jerusalem, you would head east out towards Bethany and beyond to what's known as the Jordan Valley. And you could walk up that kind of valley area north, 80 miles north up to the Sea of Galilee, up to the area that was known in the region of Capernaum. But there was another route, and that was through the hills of Samaria, directly north out of Jerusalem through Samaria. But it was a route that was considered a no-go area for most Jewish people who lived in the north and in the south. And sandwiched between those two regions was Samaria, the land of the Samaritans. You see, the hatred between Jews and Samaritans went back generations. The Samaritans had adopted pagan worship alongside the worship of the God of Israel, Yahweh, when Assyria captured their lands 800 years before Christ. They had intermarried with the Assyrian people and the racial prejudice that followed towards Samaritans from Jewish people had been passed down for generations. So the question remains, why did Jesus take that route, therefore? There is a very simple answer. You don't need a Bible commentary to figure it out. It's simply this, because Jesus never avoids the places or the people that other folk avoid. It's not how Jesus works and ministers then and even now. He'd been born into a Jewish family. His heritage and his culture and his education and his upbringing was Hebraic. It was Jewish. But Jesus did not adopt all of the same Jewish attitudes to the Samaritans in any way, shape, or form. He walked their way because he is not governed by prejudices, racial or political. And that's why he took that route. For Jesus to go through a route that most Jewish people wouldn't walk was telling you he was living how most Jewish people didn't live. To him, the Samaritan people were no different than any other part of the human race. They needed a saviour. And I want you to know that Jesus has walked our way. He's with us today. He's walked in your direction, not accidentally, but intentionally. You're not here by accident. You're not following Jesus by accident. If you're watching in from home or listening here, and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, this is not a coincidence. It's a God moment, a God incidence. And today, Jesus wants you to meet him at the well. But why this particular well? Why this well on that particular route? We know a little bit about this place. The the place known as Sychar, the New Testament talks about as Sychar, no longer exists. But we also think that this site was the Old Testament site called Shechem, where, where Jacob actually purchased a field after making peace with his brother Esau. But today, the well that is believed is this well is about 300 yards southeast of a place called Tel Bolata. And in 1935, it was archaeologically cleared out, and it was found that this well was about 135 feet deep. But in the summer... The water level was about 75 feet from the surface. In other words, you had to lower your bucket, your utensil, 75 feet before you touch water, fill it up, but then pull it back up 75 feet. And that was the routine that people had to go through because it was hard work to draw that water up. Now, sometimes when we read the Bible, we're often looking for incredibly deep and significant and powerful meaning. But there's a lovely little picture here that one reason Jesus stopped at that well was because he was thirsty. Duh. Why not? But in so doing, Jesus is illustrating for us that thirsty people look for water. It's been my privilege over the years of serving the Lord in Christian ministry, to travel to a number of different parts of the world, into Africa and into Asia. I've been to West Africa, Southern Africa, into Asia a couple of times. And I've been privileged to be around communities and cultures far less privileged than we seem to have. Sometimes I think the privilege was theirs and it's not ours but I've seen people carrying water bottles who'd gone and walked miles and and dug deep into wells to find water because they were thirsty, because thirsty people look for a well, and spiritually thirsty people look for a spiritual well. And this particular well in this community was the center of the community. It was crucially important not forgetting that the land of Palestine, as it was called then, the Holy Land, can be incredibly arid and dry at times. And farmers would go to that well so they could water their fields. And shepherds and and people who own cattle would go to that well so they could provide water for their livestock. And women would go to that well to gather water for washing and for cooking and for refreshing them and their families. The life of the village depended upon the supply from the well. And your life and my life, at its most fundamental root, depends upon what supplies us. And that's why Jesus stopped at this well to point out something very important, and that is, He is all the well that we need. There is no greater source of refreshing for the human soul and the human experience than Jesus himself. 800 years before Christ came, the prophet Isaiah speaks to a nation in so many different ways. And in Isaiah 44, we read the promise of God to that nation that we have taken and we believe it's still the heart of God for those who live today. When God declares to the children of Israel, I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irrigate your parched fields. And the reality is that Jesus meets us at the wells that can't satisfy us to show us the well that can. And I think what we're learning in this era of history and this moment in time is that some of the wells we thought were great don't really satisfy us. Some people in the last year have discovered that the well of a successful career isn't as satisfying in a massive economic crisis. Some people have found that the, the well of nights out, enjoying yourself lavishly, spending your money and enjoying yourself, don't satisfy when they're taken away. And each of us need to think about what is it that we go to to supply what we think we need. But I want to say to you today that none of us will ever find what we're looking for in the wrong well. But why why this woman? We know Jesus goes to the well to illustrate something himself, but why this woman? Why not arrive there earlier in the day deliberately so that he could meet somebody far better? Why this woman? Well, we find out that there are a number of reasons that this is significant and a powerful statement by Jesus. First of all, she was a Samaritan. And I've already tried to share with you something that's just a very small picture of the historic prejudice and an awful hatred that existed. And Jesus is saying, I will go to a Samaritan village if I want to go to a Samaritan village. And just because my history and my culture and my context and my upbringing tells me things about these people, it's not going to stop me going to a Samaritan village. It tells us in verse 9, the woman was surprised. She said to herself, for Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans, but not this Jewish person, not this Jesus. And she was a woman. That was another reason. She herself is surprised, but when the disciples get back from going to look for food, we read it in verse 27, it tells us there that the disciples were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Well, what's so strange about that? If I go out to the front to, to mow our lawns at home and my neighbor opposite, Mandy, comes out, we'll have a chat. Oh, but that isn't today. This is going back 2,000 years. Because no Jewish man would speak to a woman in public. Not even his mother, his wife, his daughter, his aunt, his sister. Women were considered beneath men in that culture, awfully so, but that's the case. And no Jewish man would consider that talking to a woman was talking upon his own intellectual level. But Jesus engages in deep conversation with this woman. But most significantly, she had a bad reputation, she'd been married five times and was now living with a man. Now living with somebody outside of marriage was highly unusual and shocking in the culture of Jesus' day. And even today, unless you're some kind of, maybe some one of those Hollywood actresses who like to get married regularly or actors, it seems, you know, and certainly historically, those great characters of the of the screen who seem to marry endlessly, it's still quite unusual to meet somebody who's been married five times. And maybe it's a statement about how difficult relationships were for her. Maybe it's about bad luck in relationships. Maybe things have gone wrong, and that happens. That happens to people. There's people in the room and people watching online, and you didn't want your relationship to end. It wasn't something you planned, but it just didn't go well for you. And the reality is that she'd had a difficult life. Can I suggest to you why I think Jesus is talking to this woman? Because she's us. She's you and me. She's those of you watching here online today. She's our society. She's broken. She's needy. She's lonely. She's hurting. She's been rejected. She's confused. She's disappointed. She's thirsty. She's lost. She represents those who feel that they've fallen short in some way, in other people's expectations. They've measured their lives alongside other people they know. And isn't it funny how you look at somebody else's life, you think, oh, they've got it great, it's wonderful. Until you get close up and you realise we're all pretty much the same. We've all got our stories, our fears, our concerns, our anxieties, but her life is complex. It's difficult. It's sad. It's painful. It's painful. It's even embarrassing. And the reason Jesus spoke to this woman, because these are the people Jesus came for. The first place in Jesus' ministry where he stands and makes a declaration of who he is and his intent in his message to the world is in his home synagogue, his home church. After his baptism and and 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, confronted by the enemy. He goes back to Nazareth and he's invited to do a reading in his home church. You know, the the, the, the boy, boy is was the, the local carpenter who made our, our tables and our windows and our doors and our chairs. He's a bit of a preacher now. So let's get him to read a scripture for us. And he opens the scroll of what we know as Isaiah 61. And reads these words, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. And he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. What was remarkable was there Luke tells us that Jesus closed the scroll and he said these words, Today, this scripture... Is fulfilled in your hearing. They couldn't embrace it. They wanted to stone him, but he slipped away from them. Because that's why Jesus came. And it's not the question, why this woman? It's, why not this woman? Why not you? Not, why me? How can I present myself to God good enough that He would accept me? Why not you? Why not you? Why not my neighbor? Because Jesus came to seek and to save those that were lost. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. As he said on another occasion, it's not healthy people that need a doctor. It's sick people. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. And he meets this woman at the well to show her another kind of water supply, but to show us Jesus walks our way intentionally. Why not you and me? Why not here? Why not now? Why not today? Why not seated there? Why not seated at home? The same God who's here and with us is with you. All it takes is somebody to say, Jesus, I open myself to you. He offers the same water to all of us, same opportunity. And we differentiate by virtue of our circumstances, but he says, Whoever would come, I welcome. Yeah. But why this water? And this is where Jesus gets to the most powerful part of what he's saying. He says, Anyone who drinks this water will become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. She only saw the water in the well that could quench her thirst and for an hour or so, a couple of hours at most. But Jesus spoke of a water he could give within us that would be a well within us that would enable us to find our soul truly satiated. And it asks the question today, what is the source that you drink from? When just watching Jordan doing the reading from, maybe I guess I could see the library in the distance, just over the back here somewhere, Jordan, and reading that passage, standing on a bridge over one of our famous Birmingham canals. More miles of canal in Birmingham than Venice. But would you go now to that canal and take a cup You know where I'm going, don't you? And kneel beside the canal and get a cup of water and think this is going to be good. I think you'd be looking for the nearest shop and buy that bottle of Evian water, wouldn't you? And I want to ask you, what wells have you been drinking from in lockdown? What has been, you've been trying to use to satiate the thirst in your life? Where do you look? to satisfy your soul. Because my gar- I guarantee to you, like my life experience has taught me, and I'm sure like most people in this room and most people watching online, sooner or later you discover it doesn't last long and it costs a huge amount. Only living water... Can satisfy This woman was looking for acceptance and significance and love, and she was looking in human relationships, offering to men what she thought if she gave it to them, she'd get back what she was looking for from them, only to be disappointed. But you see, what she was truly looking for was what Jesus offered, which was himself to her, in no way similar to what she'd experienced of men before because she sees he is greater than any man she's experienced. He's not just a man at a well. He's the Messiah. He's the one they've been waiting for. He's the hope of their nation. He was the deliverer, both for the Samaritans and for the Jews. Only Jesus can provide living water. I want to say to you today that the human soul craves something that only Jesus can provide. See, to define us as beings, we are a spirit, we live in a body, and we have a soul. We're eternal beings. Ecclesiastes tells us that God has sown eternity into the hearts of men. Every person alive will exist eternally, either excluded from God or included in his family for all eternity. We are spirit, but we have a body, and let's be honest, you can look at me and see, I've tried to find lots of different ways of satiating my hunger, which probably weren't good for me. They often involved. I live far too near to Cadbury's. One of my great blessings in Birmingham is Cadbury's world, but I live way too close to it. I actually think there's something that floats through the air near to my home that just draws me to that purple desire of Cadbury's. <laughs> But we know that that's true for our bodies. But you know our souls crave something. Your soul craves something. Our souls are made up of of our emotions, of our thoughts, of the choices that we make. And the reality is how you think and how you feel are the two great determining factors in what you choose to do and how you choose to act. And God is looking to satisfy our souls with living water. There's a moment in the ministry of Jesus, just a little bit after his encounter with this woman. I want to describe it to you, because I think it's just a powerful picture. Going way back to the time of King David, before he was king, when actually he was being pursued by the king, by Saul, David was in hiding and He's feeling down himself. He's feeling discouraged and despondent that the king is after him. And David's already been selected by God to be the next king of Israel. And he expresses something from his soul to those people who are listening. He says, oh, do you know, I would give anything for a cup of that water from the pool in the center of Bethlehem, which actually is near Jerusalem and it was David's hometown. And a couple of David's mighty men, these warriors who were around him, they hear this and they just love David and they they just want to serve their king, their future king, and serve David the warrior. So they sneak out these two courageous, mighty men. And they sneak through the the lines of Saul's men who are looking for David. And they get to Bethlehem and they get some of this water. And they take it all the way back to, to David in the cave, hiding. And David is just so moved by the the commitment, the love they've shown to him, and everything within him probably wanted to drink it, but he said, you know what, I want to do something far more important with this water, I want to be grateful to God, I'm going to pour it out as as an offering to God. And as he did, he said words like this, with joy shall I draw water from the wells of salvation. Go forward a number of years, hundreds of years, and Here we are in the time of Jesus and the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the four great feasts of the year in the Jewish calendar. The Feast of Tabernacles, as they were drawing to an end of the Feast of Tabernacles, they would remember this moment from David's life. And the priest, maybe the high priest in Jerusalem, who's leading this ceremony, it's a religious ceremony. It's filled with huge sense of ceremony and and honour and respect. It's about their history and their religion and their culture. And the priest does this, he does it every year, and he takes a cup of water, and he's about to pour it out and quote that passage, withdraw, shall I draw water from the wells of salvation, when this fella, this guy, this bloke at the back of the crowd shouts. I mean, imagine just yesterday, that somber moment in the funeral of the Duke of Edinburgh. If somebody had just shouted out a damn there!" The chapel, St. George's Chapel, just imagine the horror of somebody breaking into that powerful moment. But Jesus shouts across into this environment and he says, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And John gives an explanation beyond the words of Jesus when he says he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. Here's the point, folks. Jesus is saying to you today, if you're truly thirsty, come and drink. Don't come and drink on the basis of something great that you've done Come and have confidence in him. Do you know, I was um, just praying this morning, actually, preparing for for today, and done my notes, all of that, and I just sat at home praying, and I was thinking, and I was, you know, I'm not an intercessor straight out there in Shabbat doing in front of the Lord, but I'm just kind of connecting with the Lord, and I have this little bit of a thought, I didn't say this in the, the earlier service, but I had just this thought, you know, that I would love just one time to be able to go before the presence of God and feel confident that I've done pretty well this week. But I know I've let the Lord down. Sometimes how I've thought, things I've said, things I've done. And as I thought that, this amazing thought came into my heart and life. If that were true, I would be standing before God confident in me. But I never come to God confident in me. There's a song we used to sing, he is all my righteousness, I stand complete in him. And and I felt the spirit of God so impact my soul to remember I never, ever want to go before God confident in me. I come confident in him. His forgiveness, his goodness in my life. I want you to know today that deep, that well is deep. Deeper than your sorrow, your pain, your shame, your sadness, your difficulty, your grief, your disappointment, your rejection, your doubt, your fear, your discontent. And here's my headline to you today. We draw from Jesus by drawing close to Jesus. If you're thirsty, Jesus says to you today, come to me and drink. And we get the opportunity here, watching in at home as you are. You can draw from his presence because God fills everything in every way. He's the omnipresent one. And deep in your soul, you can just simply say, I come to you. It's that simple. It's a simple statement of desire for him. If you desire him, he'll come. Those who hunger, he says in the Beatitudes, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. It's not measured on how good your life is, it's measured on how deep your thirst is. Thirstiest people will drink the most water. Give a person who's not thirsty a bottle of water and stand them next to somebody who is. Who's going to drink the most water? The one who's got the greatest thirst. Kevin and the team are going to just lead us in a a song in a moment or two. And I I want you just to bow your heads and let me just read the first few lines to you. Because these are the, the cry, I think, from God to us today. I think this is what God is saying to you and to me watching at home, here in the room. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus